Hello and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce Odyssey podcast. I'm here today with Ben Leonard from Ecom Brokers. Ben, could you tell us a bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, essentially, we help e-commerce business owners uh, plan and then execute their exit strategy. In, mm-hmm. in brief, that is what we do. Um, I can tell you all about how I got into e-commerce and how we came to exist, if you like. That would be, that sounds like a good next step. How did you get the idea for the company? Sure. Well, um, like many uh, businesses, it came about as a result of uh, an experience which I had had and spotting that there was a a need to improve that experience. I started an e-commerce business, a physical products brand. It was a brand of fitness equipment back in 2016. Um, Started as a hobby, turned out I was pretty good at it. So I quit my job, scaled that business up. And after three and a half years, I sold it. At that point, we were doing about four million pounds in sales. And I sold it through a broker and the experience with that broker left a lot to be desired. Fortunately, um, the accountancy firm who looked after the accounts for that brand that I owned, which incidentally was called Beast Gear, um, the director of that firm, Alison, uh, has about, well, well more than 20 years mergers and acquisitions experience and is a specialist e-commerce accountant. And so she tidied up the mess of the broker and we, we got the deal done. So at the end of the experience, we put our heads together and we said, well, surely we need to plug this gap here and provide a better experience to the sellers and the buyers of e-commerce businesses. And in particular, there wasn't really anyone in the UK doing that at that time. So that's how e-com brokers came to exist. Okay. So what was bad about the experience? Was it a, was it a general broker, a business broker you were using? It was an e-commerce broker who were working at... So... I'd, I'd consulted with several and chose this one because they'd actually been recommended to be by, by a friend. However, this friend's business that he'd sold with them was significantly smaller than mine. And with the benefit of hindsight, they weren't the right fit for me. But it wasn't just that they weren't the right fit. They really just weren't great. They were operating at, operating at such a scale that they couldn't provide the right level of in-depth service that really is required when selling a business. And the guy handling my deal, it turned out, I didn't know at the time, it turned out, was not really suitably qualified he actually had, was straight out of university with an arts degree and had been trained in how to pull down reports from Amazon Seller Central and Shopify, slap them in a Google Sheet template, and then slap a, a value on the business based on the average of what they had been selling businesses for lately, which was very poor. And they, there was a, a calculation error. When they presented with me with what they believed to be the value of the business, I knew it wasn't right. I just knew my numbers. I knew that wasn't right. This was significantly too low. The error they made was not this, but it was akin to this. It was akin to um, a decimal point in the wrong place. You know, it was that kind of poor error, which had been missed at every level of their QA process to the point that it was we were about to go to market and it was me who spotted it and my accountant who fixed it. And they had ended up undervaluing the business by about 30%. And so as a result of that error, I was able to obviously negotiate down their commission because we'd done their job for them. Unfortunately, um, we ended up, we did, we did get a good deal through in the end, but the process with them was poor. Mm-hmm. And okay. so there was clearly a need to uh, create a better experience. So is that because, is that because brokers, I mean, because my experience of dealing with um, business brokers is mm-hmm. they're a little bit like estate agents. As in the, the the lower end of the market, you know, the mm. value of a business, you know, whatever, up to a few million quid is, is the you know the kind of size of a large house or something, mm. and they you know there's a limited amount of time they put into each deal, and they they're trying to get 
deal flow and it's more important than just to sell than it is to to get the best best price for you so how do you how do you avoid how do you improve on that process so you you add value right the when you're looking to sell your business whoever you work with whether it's a consultant or a digital investment bank or a broker the they they should be whatever they they're charging you which very often is a a, a commission on the the, the deal price mm-hmm. they should be more than paying themselves in the value they add in terms of the strategy that they help you put together maximizing the value of your business presenting it to the right buyers and mm-hmm. then helping you structure the deal in partnership with a legal representative of course such that the deal structure suits your goals they shouldn't be persuading you to sort of flip your business with them and have the money in your bank account in 30 days it should be a careful and considered process of selling your business according to your goals and objectives and getting the right deal for you okay so what kind of businesses do you work with it's e-commerce brands primarily physical products although occasionally uh SaaS brands as well Physical products brands who very often are selling on marketplaces like Amazon, but also on their own websites, D2C sites built on platforms like Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, WooCommerce, platforms like Walmart, Etsy, not on the high street, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. But emphasis on brand. It's not somebody with an Amazon account who's reselling stuff, retail arbitrage. It's it's somebody who has a brand, which happens to be- A brand is and they make their own products. They, they make their own products. They might have some intellectual property around those, such as a patent or a design registration. It is a legitimate brand, a family of products, which uh, solves related problems for a particular group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not interested in kind of more kind of traditional retailers that buy things wholesale and sell them retail? It's not so much that we're not interested in those. We respect that those are, are, are good businesses. It's just that's not really what we specialize in. Okay. Um, so some of the business owners that we work with may sell through directly to consumer on their own website and an Amazon account, but they may also sell into wholesale and retail themselves as well. They are mm-hmm. a brand owner. Okay. So do you, you know, when you, when you, when you look for a, a, you know, a company, that, when you look at a company that's, that's looking to sell, mm. what kind of attributes make them a good um company that someone else might want to purchase yeah uh so first of all they're defensible they have a brand identity um which uh hopefully has a a a a squad of raving fans around it who will continue to buy their products and support that brand they've got trademarks preferably everywhere they're selling and where they're manufacturing they may have other social uh, other um, intellectual properties such as patents or design registrations they're an identifiable brand the timing needs to be right, of course. The business needs to hopefully be at least several years old, uh, be growing, and with opportunities, clear opportunities for further growth. For example, to move into international markets or move on to more channels, or maybe there are more products in the in the development pipeline. It's got to be pretty stable, so in a favorable niche, something like baby, home, sports, toys, games, garden, outdoors, not black hat, nothing dodgy, no fads not something in which is just emerging, which is unregulated and is clearly going to become regulated. Like crypto. Like crypto, um, for example. Um, it needs to be transferable, so have good systems and processes and, and, and um, automations and, and teams that are, that, that are running the show. And a really good test of this, I say to people, is if you fell down the stairs and broke both your legs tomorrow and were stuck in hospital for weeks on end, would your business run without you? 
If the answer is yes, you've got a pretty transferable business. If the answer is no, then you don't, and that's fine, but you need to go make it so with the right systems and processes and automations, et cetera. Um, a good business to sell is one which is diversified across many aspects of the business. So it's got a diverse, it's diverse in, in terms of channels. So you're not just selling on one place with all your eggs in one basket, just on your own website. You, you might also be on, you might be uh, selling to, to e-tailers or into wholesale, but you might have an Amazon account, a Walmart account, an Etsy account. Maybe uh, with any luck, you're in several international markets. So the UK and mainland Europe or the US and the UK with a clear opportunity to move into mainland Europe. And you've got a diverse range of products. So you're not relying on one or two products where if suddenly the, the factory shuts down, you're in a pickle, but you've got enough products, you've got some diversity there. A sweet spot, I think, is between sort of, you know, one and 50, uh, sorry, three and 50. Um, but, you know, between, le less than 10 is still fine. And mm -hmm. a diversity in terms of traffic. So you're not relying on one source. You know, if you've got a business which is selling two products only on your own website and all the... Uh, source of traffic is coming from a Facebook ad and that Facebook changes their rules and that ad gets shut down then you're in a pickle and you don't have a so what, what do you think about um you know because there's obviously been a lot of movement in the market for you know people aggregating Amazon brands mm. you deal with many because obviously they're not diversified they're just selling on Amazon um, well you'd be surprised most of these Amazon brands um I hate using the phrase Amazon brands they're not an Amazon brand they're a brand and Amazon is a sales channel I talk to people too often who say I have an Amazon business and I say stop didn't know your name was Jeff because only Jeff has an Amazon business. But most of them now at least have some off Amazon presence, whether it's on a Walmart account or their own website or both. And most of the aggregators now are getting a bit more sophisticated and looking for that diversity because they recognize that it is required. So do you sell, have you sold businesses to aggregators? Yes. Or, yeah. Yeah. To be fair, aggregators are a significant um, proportion of our, our buyer pool. Um, they are getting more sophisticated all the time because their investors are demanding it to be so. They are demanding that they have the operational capability because some of the earlier ones are actually now floundering because they knew how to raise money, but they didn't know diddly squat about e-commerce. And so they've failed on the operational side and they're now either just failing or getting actually acquired by other aggregators. Recently, mm -hmm. we saw an aggregator called Awesome from the UK who acquired an aggregator in the US called Flywheel. We're actually starting to see aggregators aggregating aggregators mm -hmm. which is quite interesting right because i mean I, I it seems to me that i mean i, I talked to i watched listen to a podcast on, on an aggregator it seemed to me that the the multiples that they were buying businesses at were very low and i don't know whether those multiples have gone up a lot and i'm guessing it's become a less good business to be in they are going up um for for a variety of reasons so the aggregators what they want to do is um contact a business owner directly and deal with them directly and say to them, deal with this directly and avoid paying the broker fee, which really translates as please don't work with a competent broker who will properly calculate what your business is worth and add value to it. And they want to deal with you on your own so you're in a non-competitive environment and not having to bid against anyone else and then buy your business from you at a, a low multiple two to three X yeah. and give you pretty poor deal terms. And they're taking part in what, what what's called financial arbitrage. They're buying at a low multiple and then when they go public, they'll sell off at a high multiple. CPG multiples are more like 15x. Yeah. So the minute they buy your business and roll it up into their portfolio, it's worth three, four, five, six, seven times more than what they paid for it. So they can well afford to pay you what it's actually worth, having taken it through the right process to maximize its value, market it to a pool of the right buyers, and get a fair deal and deal structure that suits you.
Mm -hmm. So what kind of multiples should people expect from an e-com brand? The average multiple in e-commerce at the moment is about five, five times your seller's discretionary earnings, which is pretty much your net income plus add backs and adjustments. We can, it's a bit technical. We can get into that if you want, but a back of a fact packet. So is it profit or is it, is it, uh, how does that relate to profit? It's very similar to profit. It's your net income plus add backs and adjustments. So add backs are costs, which the new owner wouldn't necessarily expect to pay. So that's seller's discretionary expenses, such as uh, your own salary, dividends, health insurance, travel, entertainment, phone, internet, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Then there's one-off costs that have been paid for and won't ever need to be paid for again. Photography, video, trademarks, some legal consulting. Then there's recurring costs that the new owner already pays for anyway in their own existing um, environment, software, consulting, accounting, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So very quickly, these things add up and add to your profit, so to speak. But then there's adjustments that can be made to recognize the true value of your business. Because usually a business is based off the trailing 12 months performance. And this is where the aggregators will get you if they deal with you directly. They'll say, give us your P&L sheet and give us, give us your financial data. And they'll come back to you and tell you what your business is worth, which is bonkers. It's like somebody trying to buy your house and tell you what it's worth. And they'll tell you what it's worth based off the trailing 12 months. But here's the thing. Suppose that one of your products, uh, you three months ago, you negotiated a new lower price with your supplier. Well, if we just calculate the value of your business off the trailing 12 month performance, then it's only going to contribute three months extra profit to the value of your business. But the new owner is going to get the benefit of that extra profit for every unit they sell from the moment they buy it. So what would be more fair is to adjust your numbers as if you had always bought it from your supplier at that lower price. Similarly, suppose you put the price of a product up, you know, two months ago. And when you did that, you didn't see a drop in sales. Sales stayed the same or even went up because now maybe customers see the brand as being more premium. Well, it would be right to adjust the numbers as if you'd always sold it at that higher price. And there's lots, of, that's just scratching the surface, lots of adjustments to recognize, recognize change in the cogs and change in PL over the last 12 months to, to help maximize the value. Of the so it's a good point. So, so how would you best prepare your company for sale to get the best value out of it? Well, several things, I guess. It's, um, it's going back to what I mentioned before, making sure that you, you, your business is stable, well-documented, diversified, defensible, efficient. You know, have you automated things? Are you using the right... Um, software, inventory management, email flows, PPC agencies. What's your relationship with, like with your suppliers? Actually, have you got all the right certifications and audits behind your suppliers? Are they meeting particular ISO standards for quality and environmental uh, side, for example? All this kind of stuff will matter when it comes to making your business sellable because when the buyers do their due diligence, they're going to dig into all this stuff. So making sure that you have all the commercial, legal, and intellectual property side, neat and tidy, T's crossed and I's dotted, so that when it comes to selling the business, that is as, as, as um, smooth as possible is really important. Mm-hmm. Of course, you need to make sure that you're growing. So you need to be profitable, at least, at least 15% margins, mm-hmm. growing and with clear opportunities for further growth because buyers want to take your business that's doing well, accelerate that growth and then exit themselves later on. So mm-hmm. all those things will make your business more sellable. And okay. you need to plan, right? It's, you can't just wake up and decide to sell. You have to sort of wake up sort of about now and decide to have, make your business sellable. 
so that on the day that you do decide that you want to go to market, everything's neat and tidy and ready to go. Mm-hmm. So how does your process work with selling a company? Yeah, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Um, we have a chat with an e-commerce business owner to understand what their goals are because it's all about their goals. So some people have a timing goal. I want to sell in, in a year or some people have a numbers goal or now a, a bit of a mix of the two. And we try to understand as much about your business as possible as to whether this goal is achievable and, and in, in what time frame. We sign an NDA to give the, the e-commerce business owner peace of mind that we can look at their, their data without doing anything dodgy with it. And we then request read-only access to wherever they're taking sales, Amazon, their own website, Walmart, Etsy, whatever it might be, and their accounting software, whether that's Zero or QuickBooks or something else. We analyze the numbers and do an in initial um, indicative valuation. And we, we also analyze the wider business, the commercial environment of that um, niche or industry. Um, what are they doing for their marketing? What's the IP situation? Uh, what's the regulation uh, situation in that industry? Given indicative valuation, we believe your business is worth between A and B. And then have a conversation mm-hmm. with the seller about how they feel about that and what that might mean for them in terms of an exit, whether that is something that they, they would want to consider. And if they want to, to sell, we bring them on board as a client and we dig in and do a more in-depth analysis to really discover the deeper opportunities to add value to the business. That's some of the adjustments I mentioned before, really digging mm-hmm. into the cogs and the... the um, the changes in the PNL over the last 12 months to add more value, squeeze as much value out of it as possible. At the same time, we get the seller going ahead of time on the due diligence, digging through their business, making sure everything is organized, ready for due diligence. So the business is neat and tidy with a ribbon on top to present to potential buyers. Because when Bob at acquisitions at buyer X is looking at a business or is looking at several businesses, and several of them look great on the outside, but they're a bit of a mess underneath. But yours is really impressive underneath. You know which one the investor committee is going to be willing to pay more for. So we, we really get sellers going ahead of time on that. And we agree a go-to-market value with the seller. And we present that, we produce a, um, an all-singing, all-dancing brochure, talking about how wonderful that business is. And we present it to a pool of buyers that we've researched and it's going to be a mix of e-commerce aggregators, more mature private equity, family offices, competitors, private individuals, cast quite a wide net. Present this to those buyers. And what we want to happen then is bring a competitive environment where we have several buyers at the table all wanting to buy this business and provide us with a letter of intent, which is a letter, a non-binding letter that says, Trevor, we want to buy your business for X and on these terms. And at this point, we connect you with a partner solicitor who fights your corner together with us to make sure that that letter of intent is thrashed out and expectations are set. And it's broadly speaking, a deal that you'd be happy with. Mm-hmm. You enter due diligence, which takes 30, 45 days. And at the end of that, the actual sales contract, the SPA, the share purchase agreement is thrashed out. The deal is brought back to your favor because the deal that the buyer is going to present to you will go straight back to them covered in red lines from the lawyer and the deal is done and you've so how long does the process all normally take well from getting the letter of intent to sell i mean the whole from the day whole one. process yes 
our process is pretty depends depends on 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 several factors. Depends on the quality of the data that the seller has. You wouldn't believe some e-commerce businesses look phenomenal, lovely photographs. Social media is amazing. Listings are great. Websites so slick, but the, the the mess underneath you wouldn't believe. That can take quite a bit of tidying up, which can add several weeks to the job. On the other hand, a lot of business owners have their numbers really really well understood and everything's neat and tidy and well organized. That makes our life a lot easier. We can pr- produce evaluation in a few days. And then it depends on the seller's goals. They might say, well, actually, I don't want to sell yet. And we might say, you know what? Hold on for another six months. If you do this, 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 and this, and launch that other product and, 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 and make sure you get into Germany like you planned, we can actually sell your business for this. So, you know, we play the long game. We build relationships. We don't flip businesses. But if we're talking about a business that's ready to go, the seller wants to go, we can take you from initial conversation to market in a month uh, or less actually uh, we've done it we've done it in in a couple of weeks um, but we don't we don't rush you've built a business over several years and an and excellent brand which is worth something which which people would want to acquire unless there's a very specific set of circumstances that mean you need to get out quick we would say well let's not rush this let's get it right and take our time Okay. But so yes, like relatively, relatively quickly. And then right. after we've gone to market, you know, buyers can tell us within a couple of hours whether it's something that they would like to have a conversation about with the seller. And mm-hmm. if, if they're getting very excited, you know, we, we sold one recently where we went to market, we had eight LOIs on the table by the end of the week. And due diligence began the following week. And then the deal was closed uh, 30 days later. So it can be pretty quick. Can be very quick. Because how, when... do you, how do you charge for your service? We charge a commission. You only commission or, or? Purely a commission. We charge a commission to the seller, which works because they know that we have an incentive to sell their business for as much as possible. Um, but we only get paid when they get paid. So if, you know, for instance, suppose there was an earnout and that earnout wasn't hit and they didn't get paid, well, we wouldn't get paid. There are some mm-hmm. brokers out there who will charge a commission on the total deal value, including earnouts, up front. We charge based on what you get when you get it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you don't charge. You don't. You don't charge any kind of initial 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 fee or indicative valuation is completely free. If you sign up with us and then we perform the in depth analysis and the go to market valuation, then you change your mind. We technically our terms and conditions do state that we would charge five hundred quid for that. Uh, I think we've only ever done that twice. Um, which is actually a sweet deal because that piece of work is worth a lot more than 500 quid and it gives you a fantastic set of data and a deeper understanding of your business and a starting point from which to work in order to say, okay, this is where I am. You know, I have my map and compass now. I'm orienteering now with a reference point and where am I going? So it's actually a great piece of consulting work if you want to think of it in that way. Okay, what kind of size deals have you been doing? Everything from 500K to 20 million. Mm-hmm. Um, in every geography, buyers and sellers in uh, North America, Latin America, UK, Europe, Asia, Australia. Yep, all over the shop. It's a, okay. We live in a small world now, which I find bonkers, right? I can close a deal between a Mexican seller and a Mexican buyer, and I'm in Northeast Scotland. It's insane. And but do you, ever actually, do you ever actually meet any of the people you work with? Uh, due to COVID and all that kind of fun stuff, that is a very rare thing. Uh, I get down to London reasonably often, um, which gives us the opportunity to do that. Uh, we met a seller in Edinburgh recently. 
Um, but I have to admit that 90%, probably more than 90% of our deals, we have only met our clients on Zoom. Okay. Which is Fair fine, so. you know, because it means that, uh, that that's the way the world, the world is now. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me, right, so, uh, you know, imagine I'm a company looking to, interested in sell, what would be the top tips that you would have for, for me? Take your business through the right process to maximize its value. Market it to a pool of the right buyers, because it's all very well saying, okay, I know, I know my numbers. I know my turnover is this and my profit is that. And we're going to multiply my profit by maybe, you know, five and then Bob's your uncle. But actually there's so much hidden value in there. And it's only when you get your seller's discretionary earnings or a similar, um, a similar tool for uh, calculating the value of a business is, is, is EBITDA. It's only when you get that calculated by a professional that you really squeeze out the maximum value of the business. And you can start to think outside the box in terms of deal structures, because there's lots of ways to structure a deal. You may want to sell 100% or you may want to retain some equity. You might want to roll that equity into a new co with the new owner and then get a second exit a few years down the line for even more money, for instance. Really important to work with, 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 a, with an expert and all these different options that you have. So it's maximize the value of the business and plan ahead. You can't wake up one day and say, I want to sell because you're going to have an enormous headache. There's going to be a lot of work to do. It's build the business. Even if there'll be people listening to this and say, I don't want to sell my business, not even in the medium term. If you build your business such that it is in a good state to sell, the happy side effect is it naturally scales bigger and faster. And there's a couple of books I would recommend on this. One's called Built to Sell by a guy called John Warrillow. And in, in that book, he makes clear, if you don't want to sell your business, that's fine. Read this book. It's still extremely helpful. So Built to Sell by John Warlow is a great book on that. Uh, and the other classic, which I hope most of the listeners have already read, is The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely uh, full of gold when it comes to this. So planning ahead, having everything calculated by a professional and making sure that they are adding value to the deal that whatever they're charging you should be more than paying for itself. And so that's the trap not to fall into is when cheap and cheerful services, which do very little in exchange for what seems like a fantastic deal because they're charging you very little or direct sales say, don't pay a broker when actually paying good broker is an ROI. It is a return on investment and avoid, you know, there's a new model that has emerged. It's quite a, it's quite a, it's quite clever what they do. There's a new marketplace model that has emerged. It says, list on our marketplace. And it works really well because you don't pay a fee, but the, the buyer pays a fee. And you think, oh, great. So I know I'm still paying for, I'm still getting a great service because they're still getting paid, but they're getting paid by the buyer. That sounds really good. But what's happening is, how is the buyer paying them? The buyer is paying them from the same pot of money that they should have been paying you from. So you are paying them. And the service isn't, isn't great because, again, they're working at scale like some of the generic flipper style services. So just be aware of that. Make sure you work with a, a bespoke service that really digs in and understands your goals, your business and what you want. OK, that sounds like good advice. So anyway, last question for you. What has inspired you recently? What has inspired me recently? Um, so not it's not from business. It could be anything. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, Emma Raducanu. Um, I think she's super cool. Uh, for those living in a cave, she won. Uh, <laughs> so anyone that hasn't heard of her? 
Yeah, she won the US Open, uh, having been a qualifier. Um, and uh, the other day she was playing at the Austin. What was absolutely bonkers about this was she won the US Open. She won every match in straight sets. So in the first or second round of the Australian Open the other day, she lost, she won the first set, lost the second set. So in the third set, it was the first time she'd ever had to play a third set at a Grand Slam, despite having already won a Grand Slam. And so she inspired me because she could have been intimidated by the just being at such a huge event as the US Open. And as the pressure ramped up, as she went on through every round, it was like a fairy tale. It was like something from that film Wimbledon, right? Plucky Brit qualifies, gets through all these rounds, but she just absolutely crushed it. And I just feel like that was inspiring because it was just the attitude of just, just head down, blinkers on, keep going, focus on what you're doing. And far too many people get distracted by everything that's going on around them. And I think if you can just apply some of that and just her pure love of it, just apply some of that to your business, uh, you'll go far. And I think, um, yeah, she inspired me. I thought she was, I think she's great. Yeah, well explained, I think. Anyway, Ben, thank you very much. It's been very nice talking to you. Pleasure. Thanks for uh, having good me. Good luck for the future. Yeah, cheers. You too.